I mean, I think if I was to look back across my career and if I think of what are the skills that I needed the most improvement on and that I continue to work the hardest on, I would put listening at the top of the list. I often will get an opinion about something and I want to follow it and lean into that. And I've had to retrain myself to slow down a little bit, really ingest and be present and, and listen so that I don't miss something really important to the decision-making process. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Jamie Drycozen, Chief Accounting Officer at Icerdis. Now here's your host, M. Daigle. We're going to start the episode with our Off the Ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. So I'm curious, what are some fun misconceptions that people have about accounting that you think really are not true? Yeah, great question. I think one of the things I hear often is when I get out and I'm talking to folks outside of finance, the number one thing I always hear is, wow, we didn't expect you to be so friendly and so nice. <laughs> I think they feel like accountants, you know, we're going to come at them with rules or tell them something we're doing, they're doing wrong. So it's really great when we actually get to know them as people and they realize, yeah, we're, we're human too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not like the accountant, like the Ben Affleck movie from years ago that really put a damper on the whole That's <laughs> profession. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, another question I love to ask everyone that comes on the show is how do you refer to the holistic revenue process? And I used to think it was two things, either order to revenue or quote to cash, maybe even like a record to report. But curious how you refer to that holistic process, because we've gotten a range of answers now that have kind of spanned a number of different areas and some I hadn't even thought of. Yeah. I mean, I think it's common to call it order to cash because that's the term we're familiar with, but there's so much upstream of that and downstream of that, right? It's, you know, starting with how do you even build relationships with potential clients and get those leads in the door? It can be just as impactful to, okay, at the end of the day, how do we actually close that sale, get the cash in, and then frankly, reinvest it back into the business? Absolutely. And that's the most important part, right? Is that's making right. sure we're taking the output of it and putting it back into the business and that's growing right. it even more. <laughs> that's right. All right. So now let's jump into your work. Can you share with us what your journey to where you are today looks like? It's always interesting to hear the various sort of paths that got our guests to where they are today. Yeah, I started out my career very traditionally, went straight to public accounting after college. And when I was finishing up my years in public accounting, I decided to make the jump into industry. And I took this job doing M&A integrations, which honestly, I have no idea why they hired me. Because in public accounting, you do a lot of technical accounting, but you really don't get a, a sense of how things work. You just get a set of numbers and then you do something with those. And I always liked process. I was always the auditor who would take folks up on, can I get a tour of the of the office or the shop floor or, you know, how you manufacture something. And so when I applied for this M&A role, they said, look, we bought a bunch of companies. We need to figure out how to integrate them into our own. And I just jumped at the chance. They, they were willing to take a chance on me. 
And, you know, I, I really thrived in that role. It was there that I really realized how much I love understanding how companies work, how you make what you make, how you sell what you sell, how you do what you do. And since then, all of my roles have been a mixture of not only the technical accounting, which is, you know, what I grew up doing, if you will, but more importantly, really understanding how that connects to the business. So that was a very large multinational biotech company. And every job I have taken since then, I feel like I just shift a little bit earlier into the process. <laughs> so I went to a company that was a little smaller, but not quite as established. Then I went to a company that was newly public and helped them implement SOCs the first time. Then I went to a pre-IPO company. And most recently, before coming to Isertis, I went back to a, a large publicly traded company. So, you know, I've been at all different sizes and shapes of companies and, and really has given me a deep breath of experience. That's really interesting. You know, it's funny when you said you loved getting the tour of the shop floor or something like that. It brings me back to my auditing days at Arthur Anderson, which shows my age a bit. But That's right. I remember we had this one audit that we did for the Vermont Teddy Bear Company. So I was like counting fur and toothbrushes for little, like little mini yeah. toothbrushes for teddy bears. And I thought, wow, That's right. I never thought I'd be here as an accountant. That's right. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I worked in aerospace and defense. Many of my clients oh. were in aerospace and defense and, and also energy and utilities. And, you know, we did the same thing. There was an energy utility plant that used to make electricity for its customers and they would truck, you know, coal in on these railways. And they were like, do you want to press the button so that you can <laughs> empty the train car of coal into the pile? And I just remember thinking, gosh, this is not something that was ever on the auditor brochure, but <laughs> we were game. We were willing to you know, to experience it. So yeah, lots of experiences like that. You can add that to your resume too. That's right. I know. Someday. Yeah. Train train and coal train operator. Engineer. Train engineer. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I didn't even know how to put that all together. And so you've been through kind of like every sort of company. Do you have a preference like of the large public company, maybe earlier private company, or maybe recently IPO'd or about to IPO? Do you have a favorite that you feel like you make the most impact or where where you feel the most comfortable? My sweet spot has always been helping to build. And I think companies at different stages, that concept of building and scaling just takes a different form. So it's something very different to build and scale a, an early stage company, a pre-IPO company. You're talking about process for the first time, system for the first time. If you get into a larger organization, it's interesting because I think there are some folks who will say, gosh, this company's stable. There's nothing else for me to do here. Well, it's just growing and scaling in a different way. Now you're solving for, okay, I've got a process that already exists. I have to reinvent this while this very mature business is running, or I have a lot more volume that I need to solve for. And, and what worked for us previously no longer works. And, and the concept of just continually reinventing how you do what you do, I think is what enables me to shape shift between companies. You know, we can do it at a small company. We can do it at a large company. At the end of the day, it's the same problem, but the solution might be different. Let's jump to the general ledger. So let's chat a little bit about your organization today at Isertis. How is it organized and what teams roll up into you as the CIO? I have a global team of a little over 40 people. 
And I have oversight for all of the accounting and accounting operations. So I have a global controllership, which does the traditional general accounting, payroll, equity administration. I have a specialized team that does the really complex technical accounting and financial reporting. I have a team that does revenue recognition. So that's both the technical and the operational components of that. Oh, I have a leader who helps with tax. So we have a tax function, tax and treasury function underneath me. And then I also have a shared services function. And so that's where we have global procurement, accounts payable, billing and collections, a lot of the transaction transactional functions. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I'm lucky enough to have a transformation arm within my organization. So we are a you know late stage pre-IPO company. We have lots of infrastructure to build lots of processes to put in place. And so having someone dedicated to transformation who can, you know, direct traffic and lead the charge while my other subject matter experts are, you know, in the weeds running the business is super helpful and super valuable for us as we grow. And it's it's funny, I just had a recent conversation about this or actually multiple conversations where that seems to be a role with, that we see becoming more and more prevalent and it may be called mm -hmm. different things, but it's interesting mm -hmm. that these roles are sort of popping up within the accounting function and are much needed for that full business end-to-end -end transformation, both from a process perspective and a technical perspective and, you know, also not just technical from a, a tech stack, but also from a rules and, and guidance perspective. So it's really interesting and great to hear that you have that built into yours. Are there any specific KPIs that you track and hold your team to that as, as CAO that would be helpful for the audience to kind of learn about and hear? I think like many organizations, we have started out KPIs measuring the transactions, right? How many invoices do we process? How many days do we close the books? Accountants, we are good at counting what actually happened. And we have KPIs to measure all of those. What we're shifting towards, and I think this is where you'll, you know, we talk a lot about how can we drive value in the business? Mm -hmm. It's not just looking at what did happen, but what insights can we drive from that? What analytics can we run across those transactions, across our results? And what insights does that give us about how the business is performing? We are building out those KPIs now. We are still in the process of building our infrastructure and you know, up-leveling our processes to be able to capture that data. And then once we do, we'll make that natural shift into, okay, now we have all this great information. Like, Let's show you how we can use it and how we can add that value back into the business. You said something like, as accountants, we're really good about taking the output and reporting out on that. But I like the idea of thinking ahead as to how the value will ultimately be realized from the team as well, which is super important and really interesting. Yeah, there's this, you know, I think you'll hear a lot in the news about there's a shortage of accountants. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the number of people that I have run into that have said, oh, I took an accounting class in college, but... I just don't want to be an accountant. I want to go do something much more interesting, much more tied to the business. And I think that perception is slowly changing as we're able to see now how accountants can be, you know, additive to the business. We can partner, we can drive insights. We have access to everything that's happening across the company. We have all this data to support it. We are retraining all of our people in a way to be able to now just not just 
tell me, okay, this is what the data says, but now what can I do with that data? And I think with technologies like AI that are simplifying and, and streamlining the way to do calculations to get those outputs, we can now allocate more of our time to the interesting stuff, which is, okay, now what do I do with this? What problems can I solve? That's exactly it. And, you know, at the Modern Accounting Summit we held and you participated in, we we're super lucky to That's have right. you. So thank you. <laughs> and for our audience, if you haven't watched it on demand, I highly recommend it. We're going to put the links to it in the show notes so you can find it there. But Jamie, you talked about how the role has changed over time. So, you know, in that sense, what have you really observed over the past 20 years or so in your career that's changed the scope of the office of the CAO that may help be a little bit more enticing or make the the accounting profession a little more enticing to to those that think it is just the boring debits and credits class in college? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to first acknowledge, Em, that the role of the CFO has changed. And that's kind of what gave rise to this new concept of a CAO. Because the role of a, a true CAO hasn't been around for a long time. Yeah. CFOs used to be just like us, kind of back office, worried about accounting and compliance and all of those things. And don't get me wrong, that's still part of our role. But as we've seen the role of a CFO shift into more of a, a focusing on growth of the business, playing a more strategic advisory role into the business itself, CFOs don't have time to be in the weeds on the day-to-day. -day. And so the CAO role started very much like I'm offloading all of my day-to-day -day accounting and <laughs> compliance stuff to the CAO. Over time now, what we've seen is as the regulatory environment has gotten much more complicated, business has become much more globalized. The CAO role has also shifted from being just, hey, we crunch numbers, we deal with auditors, we pay the bills. We also now have to balance, okay, I have to help my CFO grow the business. I have to help my investors make sure that they're happy with the results. I have to make sure that our numbers are accurate. I have to feed this information back to management so that they could make good business decisions. And so our role now is also expanded to be much more strategic. We play a much deeper leadership role, not only in the finance function, but across the business overall. I can no longer just say, hey, CFO, I found this thing. Can you go talk to somebody about it for me? That's my job now. <laughs> and I think that makes the role, frankly, way more interesting. And again, you'll hear me say a lot about accounting teams driving value, adding value to the business. This is how we do that, right? Is getting out from behind our desks. Let's not talk about what this number says or does, but let's translate that into a way that helps the business identify risks, solve challenges. And on top of that, because finance touches every element in the business, we touch every function, and we are used to putting in process, putting in policy, putting in systems, I think that also lends itself to also now play a more strategic role in how we operationalize running a business. The, the operationalizing of it is really interesting because and I'd be curious your take on this. My feeling is at one point in time, it was, well, you know, you'd say you'd started a new company. It was sort of like, well, here's our process and this is how it's always been done. So this is how we need you to keep doing it. 
now it's far more with each new opportunity and each new role, even if it's within the same company, having the opportunity to look at what's there and how can it be done even better, especially with like you mentioned AI. Have you guys been doing anything around that to see how that can sort of shape some of those operational, I'll say fatigues that that might happen when you've got those mundane responsibilities that are critical to the business, but not something that you want to necessarily spend all your time doing. Yeah, that's right. I think every CAO, every finance leader is looking at ways to streamline their operations, right? GNA doesn't get the biggest budget (laughs) at the beginning of every Unfortunately not. (laughs) No, but what's done is it, it has forced us to think about how can we continue to do what we do, but do it more efficiently, mm-hmm. right? So we have to think of new ways to do what we do. Two, I think when it comes to hiring people, especially great talent, they don't want to sit in the back office and do debits and credits or, you know, V lookups and things like that anymore. So again, how do we leverage technology to get the humans out of crunching numbers and, you know, instead reallocate those resources to analyze the results, provide business insights, right? So mm-hmm. I think all of these things, things along with the rise of AI and some of the other new technologies, I think has put us in this really interesting spot where we're able to redefine what accountants do. What is the role that we play? And so, yeah, everybody's looking at AI. We're looking at AI in ways to streamline how we do what we do because we don't want to do all that manual stuff anymore. It's just not scalable. It really isn't. And to your point, why not spend that time doing things that are so much more valuable and creating value? And interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. Not just valuable to the business, but valuable to the people who are ultimately performing mm-hmm. those tasks and probably right. very talented, yet you don't want to lose them. But those That's are right. tasks that need to be done. So it's it's a tough That's right sort of balance, I guess, of it all. So one guest we had on the podcast recently, Dante Giannini, who is a VP and accounting operations, also mm-hmm. leads sales ops within his organization. So, you know, that's a maybe an extreme example of where, you know, sales operations coming into the accounting function. I'm curious if you're seeing examples of accounting owning maybe even some aspects of operations and what you make of it. Like, is this more an exception in Dante's organization or maybe becoming more of a trend? I think it's more of a trend. I'm definitely seeing more non-financial or non-traditional financial activities coming under the finance umbrella, right? Maybe that's revenue operations or partner operations. It could be compensation and benefits. Mm -hmm. I think what's starting to happen is, again, accountants are very good generally at being detail-oriented, looking at data, you know, managing data, and then being able to translate that into insights. In addition, when you think about our strengths in terms of implementing systems and thinking enterprise-wide, a lot of these operational areas coming out of functions where that isn't just inherent in their DNA, they often are looking with finance to help partner with them. How can we make this successful? And sometimes that is, hey, why doesn't this organization live in the finance umbrella? And sometimes it's just a really strong partnership between the two. But I think they're starting to leverage those strengths that are coming out of the accounting and finance teams, again, to help operationalize the underpinnings of the business. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the revenue team being under your purview. Does that include Deal Desk as well? Some elements of it. So I've seen it a bunch of different ways at different organizations. I've been in organizations where Deal Desk is fully in the finance umbrella. I've seen where it's fully outside of the finance umbrella. I think at the end of the day, when you're trying to get a deal 
through your process. You have to have strong partnership between sales, between legal, between finance. And there's always this group of folks, we refer to it as deal desk, who kind of shepherds that through the process. Mm -hmm. But you can't just have, you know, one team without the other two. It's definitely a, a combined effort. At Isertis, we have some folks on my revenue team who do look at deals and play a role in deal desk in terms of looking at it probably more from a revenue accounting lens. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, they're also still helping the deal desk with things like, is the order accurate, right? Does it contain all the components that we need? You know, we noticed it has this term in it. Why did we do that? Is there a way to maybe structure it differently? You know, again, kind of thinking a little more, how can we provide value upstream and make our customers happy while preserving the best outcome for the company? Perfect. Perfectly put. Another interesting thing that you mentioned during our Modern Accounting Summit, and I don't think we talk about this enough, is how modern accounting teams should really balance compliance and strong controls with the flexibility for the business to do what it needs to do to be able to achieve its goals. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that accountants get themselves into trouble sometimes because, again, we all grow up thinking, and, and it's it's true, rules are important. There are rules we have to follow. Mm -hmm. There is compliance, and, and we have to be mindful of that. But, you know, when you're trying to partner with somebody else in the business, that's the last thing that they want to hear about. They don't want to hear about the rule. You know, they have to please their customers, for example, or, you know, their stakeholders, their managers, whoever their, their audience is. And so when you think about, you know, how do you partner, it's really important to kind of get buy-in and sort of meet, meet them halfway. You don't want to just come in and say, hey, I, I've got this rule, you need to follow it. You need to be a little bit more empathetic of what their goals are. I couldn't have said it better. I think the empathy piece, sometimes maybe it's not that it's not there, but gets lost in translation. And That's so right. I think empathy right. for both sides, because I know having owned those teams in the past, it's so critical to, to remain compliant. You want to do the right thing and remain steadfast to compliance. Mm -hmm. But to your point as well, there needs to be empathy for the other side. And so if you are included upstream in that process, you have a chance to influence that a little bit more so that you remain compliant, mm -hmm. but still also help maybe make the magic happen when maybe the sales team is getting a little bit creative is a nice was, way to put it. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody on my team recently and, you know, there's this natural inclination to say, okay, well, under the accounting rules, we should do this on this particular deal. You know, accountants, we love to operate in, you know, the black and the white. We don't like shades of gray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I said to this person was, I hear you. There is a preferred way that we should approach this. But we also have to remember that if we do that, that could lead to zero dollars in sales. And if we have zero dollars in sales, then none of what we're doing <laughs> matters because we won't be here as a business. Now, that's not to downplay and say, hey, we should do something unethical or something that makes us really uncomfortable. But I think it's a way to sort of articulate it's okay to operate in the gray sometimes. It's okay to be flexible. Again, accountants, we're not good at that. I struggle with that sometimes too, where I might take a bit more of a conservative approach, but you know, I think it's so valuable. And in return, I think you see such a positive response from our partners, from our sellers, you know, from the other folks in the organization who we're working with, because they understand like, look, I get it. You have these rules you have to operate under, but we just really appreciate that you're trying to partner with us. Exactly. 
So on the same topic of partnering with the business, I know you are a huge proponent of understanding your customer, right? Whether that customer is an internal customer, like sales, legal, otherwise, or external actual customers that are, you know, you're looking to contract with. Can you share maybe a, a little bit more and double down on this for our listeners and maybe even to make it a little more actionable? If you think of someone who's to join an organization in a position like you as CAO, where maybe in this case, the relationship with the business is terrible, right? And the accounting team's viewed as that department that's always going to say no to everything. What steps would you recommend taking to improve that? And, or what would be your strategy? It's important that when you're starting out to recognize that you haven't yet established that trust or that credibility. Mm -hmm. And I will be the first to admit, this is something that I did not appreciate early on in my career. I came in, I saw a problem. <laughs> I had a hypothesis for what the solution was going to be. And I just, you know, dropped the hammer. And that is not an effective way to build relationships. And so my first advice to anybody coming into a sensitive situation like that is just take a deep breath. Okay. Do some listening. It is so important to listen. Go meet with the folks that you need to partner with. Ask them what can we do better? How can I support you? And look, you can make a judgment later about whether you believe that their perspective is, uh, you know, something that you align with or not. But that's not the point of this exercise. The exercise is to listen because two things are going to happen. Number one, that person is going to feel heard. You're going to make them feel like you care about their perspective, which is really, really important when you're trying to build trust and credibility. Two is you're probably going to learn something that you didn't know before. You might learn something about their business. You might learn a fact that maybe didn't come to light when, you know, you got your initial set of information. And so just taking that time, invest up front in the relationship, listen to how things are going and, and try to keep an open mind. You know, from there, then you can take all of the pieces of information and use that to inform your hypothesis. I think you're going to find yourself with a much better outcome. The whole point about learning is really interesting because it's a, it, you know, that whole listening step is probably one that can even be applied outside of even this example <laughs> in a lot of areas right. of our lives. That's right. That's right. I'm just like naming like four in my head immediately that I need That's to be right. better about with that. But I think it's a really interesting point. Like you can, not only are you getting buy-in and trust and, you know, working towards this relationship, but also like probably learning a lot that we wouldn't have actually even thought of in the meantime, which may actually make that whole relationship and partnership even stronger. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think if I was to look back across my career and if I think of what are the skills that I needed the most improvement on and that I continue to work the hardest on, I would put listening at the top of the list. I often will get an opinion about something and I want to fall follow it and lean into that. And I've had to retrain myself to slow down a little bit, really ingest and be present and, and listen so that I don't miss something really important to the decision-making process. 
That's a fabulous takeaway. I love that. <laughs> See, and I'm listening to you and I'm learning. I love this. <laughs> so I also know that you are a big proponent of automation and now a customer of Zora Revenue. Yay. Welcome to That's the family. Right. Could you speak to your strategy or philosophy around automation and accounting and maybe more specifically, what advice would you have for our audience who knows they need automation, but maybe find it hard to make the case to the CFO mm -hmm. or other executives to get buy-in so that they can continue to embrace that and, and implement it. Yeah. My experience, as I mentioned earlier, was we don't always have big budgets for system implementations and automation, right? They're sort of afterthoughts, especially in the finance organization. If you ask finance folks, we have lots of ideas for how we can automate and streamline and improve. And so inherently there's this, this conflict. I often have to go back and ask for new budget, additional budget. Mm -hmm. What I have found is that accountants oftentimes will say, I need a new system because my work is too hard. It takes too many hours. And that is a hundred percent true. I am sure. not disputing that in any way, shape or form. But if I'm a CFO and I have two requests in front of me, one is my finance team needs to save some time because they're too tired or I need to spend money on something that's going to drive revenue, which is super critical for the success of the business. I know what I'm going to pick. Yep. So as a leader, what you need to do is understand what are the strategic objectives of the organization. Tie every goal you have, whether it's automation, whether it's adding headcount, whether it's, you know, changing a process, tie it to some strategic objective. Make sure you know what your CFO's goals are. Does that CFO have a goal to increase revenues? Are they trying to get to a certain EBITDA target and save costs? So that way, you know, when you want to go and ask for a big ask, tie your ask to those objectives, show them how it will increase revenue, how it will make their customers happy, how it will save money, whatever those goals are, you're going to have a much more successful outcome. And oh, by the way, when you throw in and it'll make our auditors happy, you won't even have to hear about it. It'll save us so much time. You won't have to hear the finance teams being so frustrated. It'll help us retain our talent. That's cherry on the, you know, on top for them. Totally. But super obviously meaningful for those of us who are in the trenches. And so it really is about messaging. How do you message and get their buy-in? I know it's important to them. I'm tying my ask to what's important to them. And now they're interested in a way that perhaps they wouldn't have been before. Love those points. Now that's on getting buy-in internally. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners who may be embarking on that automation journey? Anything you'd strongly suggest that they do or anything maybe that you'd warn them to be aware of along the way? Yeah, I cannot emphasize enough. You have to invest in planning. We are so excited when we think about automation. We always jump to, I've picked a system and we're going to implement it. And that's great. But you have to invest so much more time up front. What business problem are you trying to solve for? Forget the solution. The system is a solution to your problem. But really define the problem that you're trying to solve. Really define what you need this automation to do. There are so many times where I have seen teams go wrong because they say this system will fix it. And then they're surprised when the system doesn't fix it. And usually you can point to, gosh, we didn't think about this requirement or we didn't think about this business problem and if this would really solve for it. So invest time, get that North Star of 
remember, this is the problem we're trying to solve. Does this solve that problem? I think it's going to be a really critical first step. Spend time outlining roles and responsibilities as well. Get the right team involved on day one. You know, make sure you have roles and responsibilities really clearly defined. Who's responsible for what? Who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going to run this project in direct traffic? You know, it's all those things that you don't really think about, especially as a business user where you're just so excited to get to that finish line of my process is automated. It's easy for us to say, great, I can do revenue in, in Zora now instead of Excel. But okay, who's going to create, you know, use cases? Who's going to do our UAT testing? What does the calendar look like? Those sometimes are afterthoughts. And I think that's where oftentimes projects go off the rails. You know, it's funny. The, everything you just named is feels so simple, but yet probably the things that are last thought about and so or last considered in these things, but they can really keep the project on track or take you wildly off in a different direction and add a lot more time to the overall project. So it's the concept of slowing down so that you yeah. can speed up Absolutely. because then you don't have to do second rounds later on. You don't have to go back and revisit anything because you've done your planning up front. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. Okay, so thinking now to the future of accounting, what advice do you have for maybe new and current accounting professionals or maybe even, you know, newbies in the industry like things that we can do to make it more relevant or more desirable to everyone? There are a couple of things. One, I think you have to stay up to date with technology, right? The new technologies that are coming out. And, you know, it's no longer just about technical accounting or debits and credits. Technology, data, that plays such a key role in our success that that has to be part of your curriculum. You should you know, spend your spare time really understanding how can this technology help me or else you're, you're, you're not going to be successful. You're going to get, get left behind. The other thing I would really stress to folks up and coming are just be inquisitive. You know, some of my best learnings have come by accident because I thought, gosh, I'm going to spend some time with this person. I want to learn what they do. You know, they're in marketing. I have no need to sit with them. I'm not talking to them because the auditors are telling me I have to, but I'm just actually curious, like, what does a person in marketing do? And when you have those conversations, number one, they're super excited to share with you their world, what they do, how they do it, what's important to them. And you learn so much about the business. You learn so much about the priorities outside of your own financial world. Those pay dividends down the road when you're looking holistically across the business. Fabulous, fabulous advice. Okay, just a couple more questions here, Jamie. One okay. one question that I have for you is, what is the hill you will die on for accounting technology? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue that AI is not going to be on that list, right? I mean, AI just has so many possibilities that are endless. I think that is just really exciting technology and all the applications. The other thing, and, and honestly, this is why I'm, I'm at iCertis, is I think the idea of contract intelligence technology is also such an exciting piece of technology, right? You think of every dollar into an organization, every dollar out of an organization is governed by a contract somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the ability to, you know, e extract that data, help in the automation of the creation of those documents, 
transform that data into business insights is so exciting and can have such far-reaching implications across the entire business. Folks like me in accounting, we love it because now I have all this data in one place that I can use for my accounting, my compliance, and to drive insights. It's the trifecta for us. AI is so interesting to me. And for the use case you just named, just even around contract reviews and contract data and contract, just understanding all of the data within a contract. And I think back to the amount of time it used to take me when I was the one reviewing those contracts and there had to be stuff I was missing. I mean, especially that it's not the most, you know, it's kind of like watching paint dry sometimes, not a knock to anybody who loves to review contracts. But for me personally, I was like falling asleep. How by many page pieces four. of paper can you open? Right? <laughs> exactly. And retain <laughs> right. it all, make sure I've captured it all. And, you know, to know that some of the skimming didn't include something, something that was really critical to the business. So right. I'm, I'm really excited to see where AI goes with a lot of this. Okay. Last question. What's the one thing that everybody believes, but you don't necessarily agree with and have your own take on it? So whenever I'm out talking to a lot of the business partners in my organization, and this has happened at other organizations, whenever we start talking about, hey, we've got this idea, we can really help you. Inevitably, I hear, oh, I understand. We need this because SOX tells us that we need it. <laughs> and, and, you know, my answer to that is always controls are a good thing right? You, you don't have to over-engineer them. They don't have to be overly complex, but we don't implement controls because there's this SOX rule that requires it. We do it because sometimes it's just good business practice. Mm -hmm. Like it might be good to have a check and balance to make sure something's accurate, or, you know, it's a good idea to make sure that, you know, the person cutting the checks can't in some way cut a check to themselves. I mean, that's just good business hygiene. That's not because, <laughs> you know, some regulatory agency forces me to do it. So I try to share that, that perspective whenever I can. I think that's great. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me. It's been yeah, wonderful. This has been great. And, you too. And I can't Thanks. wait to have you back again. Thanks a lot. All right, listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle. Links are in the show notes and stay in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting leaders. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.